Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Joe, if we haven't met yet, and I'm going to lead a Bible study with you today. I always like to imagine that that music that plays for the video bumper is my theme song. That wouldn't really necessarily be my theme song if I were going to pick it for me. Maybe Sad But True by Metallica is more my, more my speed. Anyone? Anyone? Any, any fans? All right. Okay. There, there's some of my peeps in here. Okay. Great. Well, today we're beginning a Bible study in the book of Luke. Something I I love about Renaissance is that from the beginning of our church, something that we have done every Sunday is we open the Bible and study it. And we've done that in different ways over the years, but the most common way we've studied the Bible together is that we start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and work our way all the way through. Who was here when we studied Matthew many years ago and it took us like three years to get through the book of Matthew? Well, Luke is just about as long as Matthew is. And we're starting the book of Luke today. The great thing about this is, is it causes us to immerse ourselves in the story of that book of the Bible. And it forces us to address everything that's spoken about within these passages. So here's what we do. We we start at the beginning of the book and we stop at a certain point. We typically use the ESV translations, paragraph breaks. We stop at a certain point, and next week we pick up where we left off. It's a beautiful way to study the Bible together, and that's what we're starting today. So buckle up. We're in for a long haul in the book of Luke, and it's going to be an awesome thing. Now, now the book of Luke, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, since this is the first Sunday that we're studying it together, the book of Luke is what we call a gospel. And, And what that means is, in the literary sense, is that it's a type of writing Uh, that is found in the Bible. It's one of four Gospels, the others being Matthew, Mark, and John. And Luke is a a Gospel, which Gospel is a term that we don't use in any other literary sense, and sometimes I like to refer to it as a biography of Jesus, which it kind of is that, but it's also so much more than just a biography of Jesus. It's, in fact, a, a story of the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. That's really what a gospel is. The other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, don't really give us much of a backstory of Jesus, like his, too much about his birth or, or too much about his childhood. In fact, the, the others speak nothing about his childhood at all. Luke gives us a little bit more. In a couple weeks, we'll see that we actually get a scene from his childhood when he's maybe 12 years old or so. So it is more biographical in that sense. So that is what the book of Luke is. It is a a telling of the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. It is a little different than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, and that Luke was not an eyewitness to these events. The other, many of the other writers in the New Testament were, were eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus on this earth. That is not the case for Luke. Everything that, that he learned about Jesus, he learned from other people teaching it to him. That's important for us today to keep that in mind, that Luke was not an eyewitness. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't meet Jesus in person. 
He didn't get the opportunity like, like Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, did after Jesus had risen from the dead and the, the others had seen him and they're sharing this news. Jesus is alive. Thomas, maybe you've heard the phrase doubting Thomas. It comes from this guy who said, unless I can see the, the scars in his hands and put my finger into his wounds, which sounds pretty gross, but he said, unless I can do that and see that, I won't believe. Luke didn't have that privilege because he wasn't an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. Now, whenever we begin to study a book of the Bible, it's, it's always good practice, even in your own study, to ask these questions. Who wrote it? Who did they write it to? This was written to a man named Theophilus, which sounds like the name of a city to me. I don't, I don't know, a place you go gambling on the weekends. We're going to Theophilus this weekend. He wrote it to a man named Theophilus, which you will read in verse 3. And it's believed that he wrote it to this guy with the intent that Theophilus would probably share it to other people um, who would read it. So it's believed that Luke probably wrote it knowing that this guy was going to get in and probably disseminate the information that was in it. So we ask those questions. Who wrote it? Who did they write it to? Who is Luke? the author of the book. Well, he's a physician. That's really about all we know of him. He's a physician who traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was probably an associate of the Apostle Peter as well. Perhaps he gained a lot of his information about the stories that are in the book of Luke from his time with the Apostle Peter. But he's not a direct disciple of Jesus. I'm coming back to this because this is, I'll say again, important for us to understand. He wasn't there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He probably wasn't there when Jesus broke the bread and, and fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and a few small fish. He didn't see the miracles that Jesus performed. He didn't see him rise from the dead. He's not an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus. So who wrote it? Who'd they write it to? The third question you could ask is, why did they write it? And not all of the books in the Bible tell us this, but Luke, thankfully, does. In verse 4, he says that he's written this to Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, this word certainty is kind of a, a tricky thing because um, I think most of us prefer to have certainty in life. Most of us want that, but the difficulty with that is, is that most of life is very ambiguous. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday who said, most questions in the world can be answered with two words. It depends. It depends. There, there's always maybe another reason why the first answer you had isn't the right answer to that question. The world is full of ambiguity, but we love certainty, don't we? We love to know what is right, what is wrong? What is certainty? Now, the word certainty in the scriptures could literally be translated to undoubted truth. It, it's something that you know is true, that, you, that your doubts about it have been completely erased. It's kind of like when your wife gives you that look and you're certain of how she feels about what you just did. She just raises the eyebrows. You know what's going on in that moment. Certainty is an undoubted truth. Now, I have grown up, uh, I'm a little ashamed to say, I have grown up in my life feeling very certain about a lot of things that I think, even when I've been very wrong about them. I, I was thinking about this all the way back to when I was like five years old. I'm in the car with my dad, and I see a sign in Brentwood Village 
that says no loitering on the sign. And I read it out loud to impress my dad that I could read this sign, right? And I said, no littering. And my dad says, no, son, that doesn't say littering. It says no loitering. And I'm five or six. I've never heard the word loitering before. So I think my dad is dumb. If I've never heard it before, obviously, it's not a real thing. So here I am, five years old, arguing with my dad that loitering is not a word. Littering is a real thing. Why wouldn't they want you to stand outside their business? That's crazy. Of course they wouldn't want you to throw trash outside of it, Dad. I've grown up feeling certain about a lot of things in my life, only to find myself being wrong very many times on them, which is why certainty, though that is the reason Luke wrote this book, certainty must never be our goal in our relationship with God because certainty is simply the tool. Our goal is to have faith. Certainty is the tool that helps our faith and supports our faith. I'll say this about certainty too. Certainty doesn't mean that we have zero doubts. Having certainty doesn't erase the doubts that we might have, but what it does do is give us an anchor to come back to when our doubts shake us a little bit. Certainty doesn't mean that I'm always right, but it means that I can trust in a God who will not fail me. And certainty is based on facts, not feelings. Someone recently told me that their spouse said to them once, I know it's true because of the way it made me feel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And all the men are like, that's dumb. (laughs) And all the women are like, that's true. That's true. That's true. Here's the thing. Our feelings are a true representation to us of what we have experienced. They are very real to us, and they matter to us, and they can help us sort through and understand how we've experienced something. But feelings are not always the same thing as facts. Just because I feel something does not mean it's true. My certainty has to be based in facts, not in the way I feel. Why? Because the way I feel changes. And it could change from one day to the next. It could change from morning to evening. But if my certainty is anchored in facts, then it cannot change. So that's what we're looking for, is to obtain this certainty. And how do we do that? Well, let's go to the book of Luke to see. Verse 1, if you have a Bible with you, of chapter 1. If you don't, we're going to put the words up on the screen. You can also search underneath a seat around you to find a Bible if you want a Bible to flip through. But Luke 1.1 says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. It's like he's been watching Bill and Ted's bogus journey that you may have certainty. I wrote this, Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He, he begins with this by saying, many people ha- have taken it as their job to write an account of the things that Jesus did. Many people have compiled information about his ministry on earth and passed that information on to other people. And that is true. In fact, we have three of those other compilations in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and John, there are within history many other writings that were written 
about the ministry of Jesus. Many other, quote-unquote, gospels that were written at that time and disseminated amongst the church. There was a lot that people had to say about Jesus, who he was, and what he had done. My question is, when I read that, what makes Luke different? Because you can go to any bookstore, any Christian bookstore, and the shelves are lined with books about Jesus. They're lined with books about how to follow Jesus, how to have greater faith in him, how to understand him, who he is, and, and what he has done. But what makes all of those any different than Luke and the rest of the Bible? Why don't we have those, those other gospels that were written at that time in this anthology that we call the Bible? It's because the thing that makes them different is this theological term we refer to as inspiration. And it's not the kind of inspiration that you feel after you've seen a great movie that has inspired you to, to go work harder or do better. It's not that kind of inspiration. The word inspiration literally means breathed into. And we believe that the books of the Bible, the, the, the people who wrote them, God breathed into them. And, and, and that means that his spirit moved them to write down the things that we wrote so that the actual author of all of these books of the Bible, while he used the people to pin it down, the source is God himself. This is what makes Luke different from all of these other compilations. This is what makes all of the Bible different from all of the information out there about God is because this comes from God himself. Now, if you truly want to understand something and someone, doesn't it make sense that you go to the source to find out the correct information? So what makes Luke different is that the Bible is inspired by God. God had Luke write this down for us. And so as we go through and study in these next several years, we will, we will be hearing from God himself each time we open the pages. And this is just an aside. Each time you open your Bible and study it, you can hear from God himself because he wrote the pages down. That doesn't mean that there's not good in the other resources that are out there. I encourage you to, to read good Christian books. I encourage you to, to listen to podcasts and, and watch other YouTube sermons. Those things can be good and very helpful, but the source of the truth about who God is comes from the Bible itself. He says, many have undertaken to do it. I felt like it was necessary for me to do it to Theophilus. And what that is saying is God inspired him to do it. Now, when we look at what inspiration looks like, we usually imagine that they didn't even know that God was using them to do that very thing. They just thought, Luke just thought he was doing what everybody else was doing. And God was using him to do it. Now, he goes on to say that those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, he's referring to the apostles, the 12, who followed Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. They were there. In 1 John, written by one of Jesus' closest friends, a man named John, he says, I saw him with my eyes, and I touched him with my hands. I have handled, I have experienced with my senses the word of life. His faith then was completely unshakable because he'd seen Jesus with his own eyes. This is not the case for Luke. Luke is not an eyewitness. 
Luke had to trust the testimony of other eyewitnesses. He came to faith not because he saw Jesus do miracles, but because he believed what somebody else had said about Jesus doing miracles. We rely on the same kind of testimony, don't we? We're trusting that what these men wrote down about who Jesus is and what he did is true. We don't have that same eyewitness experience that they did. So we have to rely on what they have told us in order to believe in who God is. I just think that's cool. So when, when Luke says this here, what he's saying is, listen, everyone who would read this after me, I'm in the same boat as you are. I never saw Jesus with my own two eyes either. I believed what the others have had to say about him. Now let's ask this question because I know it's just burning in all of your hearts. Who is Theophilus? He's only mentioned one other time in the Bible, in another book of the Bible. We'll touch on that briefly. But here's what we can know about him is that he was, besides being most excellent, he was a disciple. And how do I know this? It's because verse 4 says he has been taught things about Jesus. Now, the word taught is the Greek word that we get our English word catechism from. And maybe you grew up in a religious tradition that relied on catechism to, to help you learn and understand what faith is. And typically what catechism looks like is a series of questions about God and faith being answered. And so when we consider it that way, that that's the kind of disciple that Theophilus is, he, he's someone who has experienced a catechism, so to speak, we have to say that, that he's not just a casual observer of a faith in Jesus. He's not just a guy who, who comes to church on Sunday because it's the right thing to do or because his wife made him do it. He's a guy who is engaged in understanding more about Jesus and has probably asked questions of others about what following Jesus is like. This is why small groups are so important for us because in a monologue setting like this, where there's one guy talking at a time, you don't get the opportunity to ask questions. If you have them, I'll ask you to hold them till the end. But if you really want to engage, we have to be in relationship with other people, preferably people who have, have been in this faith for a little bit longer than we have, where we can ask questions and we can learn from them and, and we can help one another. Small groups are so important. You still have time to sign up for them. We've got a whole big thing out there in the gallery and you can join a group and ask some questions and there are no stupid questions. You only know what you know, and, and, you, and you don't know what you don't know. And so, so if you have a question, ask it, even if it feels very simple to you. This is the kind of disciple that Theophilus was. He's also, I believe, a lover of God. And the reason I say that is because that's literally what his name means. Theophilus means lover of God, one who loves God. God. Some people suggest that Theophilus wasn't actually a person, but that Luke was writing this to anyone who was a lover of God. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know for sure, but, but he, here's what is happening. Uh, the assumption is being made by Luke that, that 
that even if you're a disciple of Jesus, one who's serious, so serious that you, that you take it upon yourself to try and learn more, you don't just take what is being spoken to you in a monologue, but you actually study yourself and you ask your own questions and, and you dig in and you're serious about engaging in faith. Just because you're a disciple like that, just because you're a lover of God, we cannot assume that you will not need certainty to help you in your faith. We cannot assume that at some point you will not have doubts. We have to be honest and acknowledge that because we are not eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus on earth, because we did not see him raised from the dead with our very own eyes, that it is natural for us to have doubt at times. It is natural for us to wonder if God is going to come through in this desperate situation I'm in. It's natural for us to wonder, is God ever going to show up and help me? Just because I love Jesus doesn't mean I won't struggle with my faith from time to time. Just because I'm serious about learning about who he is doesn't mean I won't struggle with my faith from time to time. The world is full of deception. It's full of doubts. It's full of distractions. And every one of those things will pull us away from that anchor of certainty that we have in him. We need these anchors, these certainties that Luke will write about in his book to keep us assured in our faith. And why is that important? It's because faith is the, the agent, the active agent in our salvation. God has presented to us a gift of eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ, and the way that we receive it is by believing. The Bible tells us that, that faith is that which pleases God the most, it's that which causes us to engage in a relationship with God, but it's not easy, though. Faith, it's not easy to believe. If faith were easy, we would just call it knowledge. It would be as simple as learning something new if faith were easy. It isn't easy for us. We have to overcome certain hurdles to get there. Faith implies that I'm not just going to accept what I've heard without overcoming certain hurdles. In my mind, so we're given certain assurances, certain things, so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught about Jesus. And I just want to go through a few of them in the last 45 minutes that I have. Why is that funny? One of those things, those tools that we've been given to, to grant us assurances is the scripture themselves. Luke says, I, I, I'm writing this so that you'll have certainty. So read what I'm writing to you, and it will give you certainty. If your faith is weak and it is shaking, go to the scriptures. As I've said, it is a book that is inspired by God. God is the source of it. It's unlike any other book that exists in the world. It is a spiritual book. It is a book that, that refers to itself as being something that is alive. Now, that's kind of weird for us to consider that. But if you think of it in this way, that, and maybe you've, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't yet, but I know some of you have, but, but you could be going through something and, and needing an answer from God, needing some direction or needing some encouragement, and you open it up, and you're not even doing the flip to a random page thing, but you're just in the portion of the Bible that you happen to be reading that day, and maybe you've read it five times before that, but today something jumps out at you that was exactly what you needed. It's because God speaks through this book to his people. We need the scriptures to assure us 
in our faith. It's a powerful book. It can grow our faith. It can keep our faith anchored. And it can keep us pointed in our relationship with Jesus. And we're also given assurances beyond what is written in the scriptures. And here's what I mean by that. Because Luke wrote these things to give Theophilus certainty about the ministry of Jesus. He says, I I want you to be certain about the things that you've been taught. You trust me, so I'm going to tell you what I know about Jesus. The second book that mentions Theophilus was also written by Luke, and we call that book the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And that book is an account of the things that happened after Jesus was on this earth. So what Luke is saying is that the certainties that are about the life and ministry of Jesus extend beyond that because God was still active in the earth even after Jesus ascended to heaven. So we have these assurances in the scripture, but also all throughout church history. We also have these assurances in our very own lives. How many of you have have looked back and said, wow, God was really with me during that time? But you didn't realize that's what was happening during that time. You didn't even know he was present, and at times he, he felt so very far away from you. But God, because of what he's done for us through his son Jesus, by, by, by the shedding of Jesus' blood, by the breaking of his body, by his resurrection from the dead, bringing us into a relationship with him, with a, with a God, a living Savior Jesus who is, who is alive. He rose from the dead and he stayed alive. He's still active and working in our lives. So we look to the scriptures to confirm our faith, but we watch for God to be active in our lives to continue to build it in every way that we can. Your life and mine are full of evidences of God continuing to work in the lives of his people. Sometimes we just have to open up our eyes and see it. Sometimes we just have to have enough patience to wait until we're on the other side of it, and then we can look back and say, God was with me the whole time. I was just not paying attention, or I missed it. We have to be willing to come to grips with our own need for certainty and to grasp on to what God has given us, and it is the Bible, the truth about who he is, and the activity that he does in our lives. And this is important, uh, that our certainty has to be in the right thing. I mentioned in the beginning that I have been very certain about things of which I was very wrong. I've been very sincere, and I have been sincerely wrong many times. I think this is a syndrome or a symptom of being an American. We think we're always right. Most of the time we are. I am anyway. I was wrong once. I don't want to go back to that. No, but our certainty has to be in the right thing. It, it, it can't be in my, in my own ability to grasp and understand things. My certainty can't be in, in relying on simply the things I've been taught by other people. Our certainty has to be in Jesus Christ himself. It has to be in the right thing. Remember how I said certainty is a tool that helps our faith, if, if my tool is not, is not working in the right place, then it's not going to help me at all. It, it has to be placed in the right thing. My certainty has to be 
in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what we get from studying the scriptures. The entire Bible is a book about Jesus himself. The book of Luke is a specific story about the life and ministry of Jesus. And so as we go on in the next several weeks and study it together, we will see the things that he did, we will learn the things that he said, and we will watch and understand more about the way that he is and the way that he interacts with us on this earth. And it is our understanding of those things that will continue to build our faith. So, so what are those things that Theophilus had been taught, that Luke wants to assure him of, that the things that we will find out throughout the book of Luke, and it can be summed up in these few things, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. And that is important because there's no other way to experience a relationship with God other than through Jesus Christ. What other things we'll learn about Jesus in the book of Luke are that Jesus came to this earth, he performed miracles, and he set people free who were being oppressed by the devil. That's who Jesus is. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And whenever I think of that verse, I I always look back to the things that he did in his ministry while he was on earth. And the things that he did then, I believe, because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he can still continue to do those very things today. And most of us, many of us, if we have had faith in Jesus for some time, can look to those moments in our life and see where God performed a miracle for us. Where God erased our doubts. God came through. Jesus came through where we didn't think he could. He died for our sins. This is how Luke closes. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. I want to finish up thinking about that specifically because it is Communion Sunday. And since we have already spent some time focusing on on that act, that sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. And uh, coming back to the reality that our doubts and our distractions will keep us from certainty in our faith, it is uh, pretty pretty interesting to me that, that Jesus would institute something that would be a physical thing that that would help us to remember what he's done for us. It it would be a thing that we could actually touch. We could actually handle. I know I'm not a person who likes to over-spiritualize anything, but but when we go into those moments, we remember as we come in into a church on not just communion Sunday, but as we interact with one another, the Bible refers to us as his body. The church is the body of Christ. And so though we didn't see the physical body of Jesus on the earth, the the act of gathering together, whether we celebrate communion or not, the act of interacting with one another as, as Christians is an experience of his body. So in a very real spiritual sense, we are eyewitnesses of Jesus in one another. I can see him in you. You can see him in me sometimes. We experience him in our life together. And it can't just be on a Sunday morning. 
has to be that kind of faith, that kind of relationship, that kind of discipleship that, that Theophilus had that engaged in a relationship with God in such a way that he was looking to learn more about who he was beyond a once a week opportunity. He was learning on his own. He's asking questions on his own because the doubts and the distractions There are plenty more of them than there are opportunities for us to believe. We have to consistently go back to these certainties that God has given us in the scriptures and the experiences that he puts before us and the opportunity to gather with one another. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that you, you don't, you don't just leave us out here without a lifeline trying to figure out what it is to have a relationship with you but you give us help to do it you want us to have certainty about who you are you want us to hold on to the truth about who you are without having to doubt it You want us to be able to trust you completely. And Lord, we're so thankful that you give us those things that would help us do that. I pray that you would help us to rely on those things completely. We would rely on the scriptures as a guide, that we would rely on watching you work and be active in our lives. Lord, that we would rely on one another to encourage us to keep going. We're so thankful that you've given us all of those things, that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 